Success is about more than just business strategies. It's also about aligning with your higher purpose and clearing inner obstacles that stand in the way. I say this because you deserve to do what you love and to feel fulfilled along the way. And the reality is you're likely spending more time than you'd like to stuck in self-doubt. You may be asking yourself things like, why do I never seem to reach my biggest goals no matter how hard I work? Or why do I never quite feel like I've done enough, have enough, or am enough? If any of these sound familiar, you are not alone. And I've been there too. The good news is that the solution is simpler than you think. I'm sharing it inside my new four-day women's immersion, The Inner Critic Cure. This live four-day event includes daily classes, potent practices, and a brilliant supportive community of like-minded women. And best of all, it's only $37. This method is gentle yet powerful, and it actually works even when others haven't because it's based on a proven psychotherapeutic framework called Internal Family Systems or IFS. By the time you leave, you'll have the knowledge and tools to not only heal your relationship with those harsh inner voices, but to turn them into your strongest allies now and for the rest of your life. So join us to discover how to put an end to those negative voices that have held you back from your biggest dreams and desires. So you can live into the full potential you know is possible for you in both your business and in your life. You can learn more and join us inside the Inner Critic Cure at programs-saravonstover.com forward slash immersion. That's programs-saravonstover.com forward slash immersion. I'd love to see you there. Hello, sisters. Welcome to She Talks. I'm Sarah Avon Stover, a yoga and meditation teacher, best-selling author, and founder of The Way the Happy Woman. I'm so happy to share that my brand new book, The Book of She, Your Heroine's Journey into the Heart of Feminine Power, is now available wherever books are sold and at thebookofshe.com. To celebrate her arrival throughout the months of October and November, I'll be featuring a special series called She Stories, where we hear the heroine's journeys of 14 inspiring female leaders. I'm so happy you're here, and I hope you enjoy today's interview. Hello, beautiful women. Welcome home. Welcome to She Talks. And today I'm speaking with Jennifer Loudon, who is a personal growth pioneer who helped launch the self-care movement. She's an inspirational teacher and speaker and prolific author of books like The Woman's Comfort Book and The Life Organizer. She is also an author with my publishing company, No World Library, and helped me out when my first book, The Way the Happy Woman, was coming out about four and a half years ago by writing the foreword to the book. So, Jen, it's really it's really an honor, really a pleasure to have you here today. Well, I just love talking about this stuff, so I am so delighted to dive in. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you and I already checked in before we started recording, but I wanted to begin with more of a check-in with our listeners. We always begin our gatherings here at The Way of the Happy Woman in this way. 
So I'd love for you to share where you're calling from and how you're doing at the level of body, mind, and heart. Well, I'm calling from a near empty room, my studio for the last 14 years. And in just a few days, my husband of almost exactly two years, um, as of yesterday was our anniversary, and I will be driving to live near you. (laughs) Very close to me. (laughs) Yeah, um, just down the road. And so I'm in the middle of a big transition. My body is a little... um, painful. I've been taking decent care of it, but I think the tension has definitely set in into all those weak spots that I have. My heart is aching. I said goodbye to my daughter who went back to college um, on Sunday and I've been living a ferry ride away from her and now I will be a plane ride away. So that's a big adjustment for mama, not so much for Lily, but for me. (laughs) And my spirit is... um, It feels very good, but a little frayed. Like I'm really ready to be on the other side of this transition. It's been a long one. We've we've known it was possibly going to happen for five years. And we made the decision to actually go to Colorado about six or seven months ago for real. Maybe more than that, maybe eight. And I'm so done with it. And I'm writing about transitions for a new possible book. Um, so I've really been exploring it in my writing. And I'm just so sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I am. Thanks for asking. Yeah, and we get to talk about transitions even more. Good. Today. Yay. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> and Jen, you, you mentioned that you used to do a lot of teaching on the Shiro's journey. Hmm drawing from Maya Angelou's um, work on that. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your work with the Shiro's journey and what that entailed and why you were drawn to it. Well, I was drawn to it because of a quote that I stumbled upon. Well, I actually think, I let me go back. I was drawn to it from when I wrote my first book, The Woman's Comfort Book, is around that time, the wonderful and wise Marie Murdoch wrote The Heroine's Journey. And she had, of course, worked with Joe Campbell. And um, she lived in Santa Barbara the same time I did. So we got to spend a teeny bit of time together. And I just, that book had been so life-changing for me when I read it and really informed a lot of my early thinking about this thing that I saw a lot of women needing. And and I wrote my first book when I was all of 25 or 26. But even at that age, even all that time ago, I'm 52 now, I saw this phenomena of women not, of, of women drying up. And that there was some essential way that we were missing in modern life, um, some passage, some way of growing and being. So that's been an obsession of mine, you know, again, long before I wrote that first book, Woman's Comfort Book, because I would never would have written it if I wasn't obsessed with that. Um, Marie, uh, Marianne Woodman's work was hugely important to me. Um, oh, China Galland, I mean, all those early. So, those, I mean, in fact, I just packed up my library, everybody, and I got mm-hmm. rid of boxes and boxes of books, but I did not get rid of any of those books, (laughs) even though I know I probably won't read them again. Um, And then it it started to percolate again a few years ago when I read a book called From Girl to Goddess, Mm. um, which is really a lot of uh, fairy tale and mythology research 
by a woman named Valerie Frankel. And this quote just seared itself into my head. And the quote is, while the hero journeys for external fame, fortune, and power, the heroine tries to regain her lost creative spirit. Once she hears the cries of this lost part of herself needing rescue, her journey truly begins. And I found this so fascinating, Sarah, because so many of the women that I'm drawn to work with, paralleling my own journey, at some point we gave up on something, usually to do with our creativity. I mean, women come to my writer's retreats and they're like, well, I wrote a book in fifth grade and I found it in the attic and I realized that I've never written anything since you know, some version of that, or the, the brilliant women I've worked with who are like, they keep, they get almost to the completion of something and then they, they, they put it away. Um, so I became really fascinated with where the Shiro's journey intersects with this journey to lost creative spirit, however each woman defines it. It certainly doesn't have to be an artistic form. That's really, yeah, I was just talking to Jennifer Lee before I was speaking with you today, mm-hmm. and we were talking exactly about that, how she has this practice of intuitive painting mm-hmm. that is her refuge, and it is her place of, of solace amidst working out the complexities of running a business and tempering her ambition, and this is something we can all definitely relate to. What, what, I'm sure there were many points, but can you direct us to a specific time in life when you really felt this kind of, this drying up that you mentioned? Oh, God, many times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is a reoccurring theme of my life. And, and actually, it's interesting because it's, it's a theme that I think is showing up in this project I'm trying to write. Um, I think that a lot, maybe, it is the lost creative spirit in another form, but in another metaphor for it is the thread. And there's that uh, beautiful um, uh, poem by, um, oh God, William Stafford about the thread. And I'm, I'm certain if you gave me a moment, I could search for it and find it. But basically that there's a thread we follow all our lives is what the poem is about. And every time I've turned away from that thread, that's when I, I, I burn out. Um, so it's, the reasons I turn away often don't matter, although they're pretty familiarly the same, which is somehow wanting to show up in a bigger way in the world, um, wanting more attention, wanting more praise, um, or the shadow side of that, comparing myself unfavorably to other people. I, I had a story going for a number of years there, you know, basically, you know, do you know who I am? <laughs> Because having like been that personal growth pioneer, you know, and then, well, that fades away. Who the hell cares, right? You've been replaced as it should be. Um, so I had to, you know, any of that has taken me away from the thread of my life. And I would say that the thread of my life is, is to create as, and to write specifically as, as juicily and creatively as I can about my own experience. Hi, I'm on a call. <laughs> Sorry. No problem. I think, that, I think that Bob wants to get that refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't usually my, open my studio door and yell. <laughs> that was my husband, everybody. <laughs> was there a particular transition that you found to be particularly dark? Ooh, um, gosh, yes, there's been a number of them. When I wrote the 
the woman's comfort book so many years ago, that was definitely a moment of great darkness. Um, and it, I, I hesitate to tell the story because it sounds so magical and it's not that I don't believe in magical things happening, but I find them, they happen very rarely in my life. <laughs> and, and at the time, at the time I was a, a screenwriter, I was a struggling, struggling screenwriter. And, um, I was, uh, I just wanted to sell, finish and sell a screenplay for a lot of money so badly. And my friends were doing it, and um, I had gone to USC film school, and I thought I could do it, but the harder I tried, the more stuck I got. And my life became so stuck that literally I was living in a tiny apartment. I had sold my house. I had had a skiing accident. I couldn't walk. The tiny apartment was, I was on crutches for three months. The tiny apartment was up. 42 stairs. <laughs> so oh, wow. I didn't have to go anywhere. My boyfriend at the time's roommate had wrecked my car. I mean, it really was. Like when I tell it, it was unbelievable how small and tight my life had gotten. And I do believe now, you know, with hindsight, I certainly didn't see it at the time, was it was my, in my intuition was trying to get my attention. And it was trying to say, hey, darling, you need to let go of this goal and you need to learn how to take care of yourself. And I would basically say that that's that small voice that we all have in different ways. Yeah, yeah, after I finish the screenplay and sell it for a lot of money. And I'm not kidding. That's exactly what I would say. Mm. And finally, one day, it was just too painful. And my writer's block was too harsh. And I couldn't do anything. I'd been rewriting the same two pages of the screenplay. And my agent really wasn't calling me back. And, and I called a friend who I was very jealous of and said, I'm going to quit writing for a while, for a month. And she said, you know, whatever. And I hung up the phone. I really meant it. I'm really going to quit writing. I'm really going to give myself a break. And the title for that first book popped into my head. And Sarah, I didn't read self-help books. I wasn't thinking about comfort or self-care except to refuse it. Um, so that was, a, that was definitely the first of those dark times in my life. And then that title really became like a grail for me. Um, mm -hmm. Because I had to learn how to somewhat take care of myself. I'm still learning it. Um, and that book really opened you up to your life's path. It did. It both opened me up and distracted me. Because <laughs> I think that's what happens in this hero's journey, right? I think what the hero's journey always looks like, it looks kind of more linear than the women's journey, right? Um, our journey is much more about interruptions and... Um, and for me, the the way that it opened me up to my life path was it gave me this great following and this great success. And wow, working with women and women's inner lives, wow, yes. But the way it got me off track was it was like, oh, well, let's write a series of books. And, you know, I became more of a brand in time. Mm. And that became something I really struggled against, both for the right reasons and for the wrong reasons. So tell me more about this view that you have that our path as women is more about the disruptions. What do you mean by that? Well, we have babies if we choose to, so that's a pretty giant disruption. We're wired to tend and befriend, and that leads to a lot of distractions and disruptions, um, whether it's taking care of elderly parents. I took care of my mom with Alzheimer's for a number of years. I just recently moved her to Florida. My sister is now taking over that care, but that was a very different uh, life than I thought I would be having at this time after my daughter went to college. Um, you know, I, I think 
the things that we value about connection and friendship and community and ritual creation um, are more disruptive. And I, early on, after I had Lily, and she's 21 now, I had to learn to work with that because my model was very much my dad was a daddy's girl. It was a dad model. I will do this, and I will march ahead. Um, and I don't really think that's how life works anyway, but I think we have a myth about that, mm. um, like the company man myth, the, the view of the 50s kind of thing. Um, it's not how most of us are living our lives now, but I don't know if we've completely given up the story that things are just going to always get better and always move ahead. And the personal growth world can really feed into that in a really kind of dark way. Like, I'm better, I'm getting better and better every day. And you know what? I'm not. <laughs> Some days I'm really not better. <laughs> and that's not how personal growth works. No, no. It's a lot of going into the darkness. I mean, that it's a lot of going, oh, God. Oh my God, I'm here again. <laughs> really? Did I just do that again? <laughs> oh yeah, I did. <laughs> so in light of the fact that, yes, we keep learning the same lessons in ever-deepening ways over our entire life's journeys, so if you could go back to that young woman, 25, writing her screenplay, what would you have told that younger self? Oh, gosh. I would have said um, you do not need to hurry so fast. You do not need to judge yourself on your external um, uh, accomplishments. It's great. Their wonderful work is wonderful. Creative work is incredibly important to you. But the wholeness of you um, is is far more important. So think of it as serving the whole. Um, and I would have told her um, probably to remember that she knew about yoga and meditation <laughs> and that she learned it really early and maybe that would be a good thing to re-remember sooner rather than later. <laughs> yeah. And stop drinking so much wine with her friends. <laughs> yeah. And since you have been called one of the pioneers in the self-care movement, what are some of your favorite modes of self-care? How do you how do you tend to your inner garden? Mm. Well, certainly meditation. Um Certainly yoga. Um, for years I practiced on my own, and now I actually love to go to class again, so that's interesting. Um, for certainly what I call um, des desire retreats. And so there's just a time, it could be a couple hours, it could be a day, but it has a clear beginning and an end. And I just ask myself continuously, what do I want? What do I really want? And then if I'm doing something and I suddenly don't want to do it anymore, I just abandon it. So one time that looked like taking all the books off my shelves <laughs> and then go halfway through it. Oh, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. So I let just books on the floor for weeks. Um, art projects, you know, half started. Just I try to remember to wash the brushes out before I leave. Um, that's really recharging to me. Um, I love that idea. How did you? How did you come to that? 
Well, I wrote the woman's retreat book. So being that whole archetype of retreat and, and what can really happen when we embrace it has long been of great um, interest to me. And just, and I just started years ago offering this question, what do I want at my retreat, even my writing retreats. And, and I saw how important it became for women, a life-changing question to have someone just keep giving them permission to ask, what do I want when they're faced with all the food choices at Kropalu, for example, or what do I want? Do I really want to go to the afternoon session about finding the heart of your story? Or do I want to go for a hike? Or do I want to take a nap? And following that leads to such a great sense of renewal and I really began to find over the years that following our desires um, is so incredibly liberating for women. And they and so often we've cut ourselves off from our desires because either they were they felt dangerous or illicit, or they felt um, like oh forget that I'm never going to get it, so I shouldn't even want it or allow myself to want it. Or we got the sense from studying Eastern spirituality traditions that we weren't supposed to have desires, which is a complete mistranslation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that enlivening of that became something that I saw, I just kind of stumbled into, I guess. And then just to give myself a, a, a container. I'm really into containers. So am I. <laughs> God, they're just like, every day that I don't use containers, I'm like, well, that was stupid. <laughs> and I mean like the container of a song. Like I'll put it, my headphones on, I'll listen to a song for 48 minutes or an hour, and that's the container. I use freedom software to turn off the internet for a length of time. That's the container. Um, the desire retreat, start and end time. Um, or, you know, really like making really clear containers around vacations. My my girl was home last week and we had a staycation and I made myself some rules around technology um, so that I wouldn't be whittle, whittling away at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not sure that answers your question. But. It does very much. And I interrupted you when you were saying some of your favorite modes of self-care. Yeah. yeah. I am um, a huge reader. Um, reading to me is about like breathing. Um, going outdoors and being in the woods. Um, and now in my new place, there won't be the woods so much as up in the mountains. Um, and spending that time, taking vacations with Bob, like we, we love the same things. We love to go hiking all day and then come back to a nice hotel <laughs> and um, have a really nice summer and read and have a nice dinner. And yeah, so those, all those things. Um, and I think the most Essential practice, though, is just sitting, setting aside that time every morning to go into oneness and spaciousness and then really spend some time with myself, maybe in my journal and some of the questions. Um, I, I do a, I lead a, a online group called The Oasis, so little mini Oasis practice in the morning is, is super important for me. Mm. What what would a mini oasis practice entail? Well, for me, it would, it would probably look like 20 minutes of meditation, and then it might look like rolling around on a rubber ball on the floor, and it might mean some pranayama. I often, or I might start my meditation with pranayama because um, alternate nostril breathing super helps my busy mind. Mm-hmm. And then it might look like some, a couple of journaling questions, um, like what do I, what am I really hungry for today, or what would feel really good to say? I, what would help me feel satisfied about today? Maybe do a free write with one of those. Um, today it was, what do I need to think about? What decisions do I need to make? Because I just feel like there's so many things floating around, you know. 
right right now yes a little bit of journaling around some of the questions that that they appear in a lot of my books or I make up ones Um, the life organizer has a lot of questions like that that's what I was thinking I have the life organizer and I love I love all the journaling prompts yeah the idea is that the idea behind the oasis for myself and when I laid it online is that we need we need a container (laughs) and we get some time to reflect on the, our desires and our dreams, but also like what's not getting attended to, you know, life just keeps shoving us around if we don't find some ways to reflect and then really break it down into small steps. And that, that's another one of my self-care practices. I use a um, app called to do if T O D O I S T it's free. And I um, really spend time breaking down into actual steps, what I have to do that day and only putting on the day, what can be done that day. Um, this took me years to learn and I would feel like such a failure because I never could get what I thought I was gonna get done in a day. Really undermines your self-trust. Um, but it feels so good to go, yes, this is really the hours I have today. If I really go to yoga or I really go for a hike, if I really have a call with Sarah, <laughs> you know, let's not pretend that call with Sarah's not happening and that we're gonna work during it. <laughs> Yeah, so that's another self-care practice for sure. Mm-hmm. And given your involvement with the heroine's journey, the Shiro's journey now for over three decades, if you were to help rewrite this global narrative as it's coming even more into the zeitgeist of a woman's journey into empowerment, what would you most want to include as your contribution? Hey, that's a great question. Um, I think it is that we make and remake the world through our creativity. Um, You know, we don't, I think, own or claim that. It's true for men and women, but I see so many women deny their own creative urges and nothing happens without creativity so to see that as part of that global narrative um, I also see this sort of extreme of either I have to serve everybody all the time or I'm just I'm too fragile the world is too harsh I can't do anything And I would love to see the global narrative around being a heroine and a shiro um, really see it as part of uh, a flow of savoring and serving, savoring life, taking care of ourselves, and then flowing out and and sharing that and then flowing back in. Mm. I love that language that you use around savoring and serving. Yeah, it came from a, a misquote from E.B. White. Um, uh, he didn't actually say this exact thing. It was something like, I wake up and I don't know whether to save the world or savor the day. And it makes it, makes it hard to save the day, something like that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's that, it's that syzygy, as my friend Camille Maureen taught me many years ago, which is uh, the infinity symbol on its side. And it's just that we flow out and we flow in, and that is the natural way, right? And I think what I want to see is that the, the flow happening so that people don't get burned out and then they can't serve anymore. And we need them usually because they've had incredible skills and experiences. 
um, and that we don't, but we also don't silo ourselves away. Now, and that happens a lot in the personal growth world where it's so much about me, me, me. And it makes me really sad because it's not really going to serve you. We're built to be connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well said. And Jen, I know that you are in an empty office <laughs> about to load up a moving truck and start a new home, a new season of life. So that's definitely a new edge. But I'm wondering if you want to speak to your current growing edge, like this next frontier of your heroine's journey. Yeah, that'd be exciting. I'm really learning to focus. I'm somebody who has a lot of different interests and irons in the fire. And so part of my 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 heroine's journey going forward is, is learning to say, I know I've created that or I've done that in the past, but this is what I'm doing going forward. And that going forward place feels um, like diving even deeper into the craft of being a writer and storytelling. And it feels like leading women into the intersection between um, resting in being and radiance and creating from there. I'm really fascinated by what I think of as creative radiance, this, this place that when we're being, when we're allowing ourselves to just be, and we all know how to do it, um, of course, there's lots of practices to help us calm our nervous system and, and access that, that great aware, uh, you know, being and being aware of being aware. Um, so much seems to be able to bubble up from there. And I, I, I want to say it's not that I want to become some, you know, guru of creative radiance so that we can all write, you know, books in a half an hour. <laughs> like that ridiculous way that mindfulness is being twisted around into productivity these days by yeah. by um, by high tech companies. But but there's something about this place that's really speaking to me. So that's what's calling me um, really strongly. Yeah, mm, I love that term, creative radiance. Thank you. I do too. Um, and I, I, you know, I'm very wary. Um, I like. Nothing more than to say, this is who I am, and this is what I'm all about. It's like, oh, no, Jen, that's not where we want to go. Um, but that is, I do have a lot of joy in my body when I talk about that. And, and that's part of what happens at the Oasis, and so that feels really wonderful, too. And just trying to be more in alignment with that and notice where I get pulled away to do other things that, that I can do and that I'm interested in, but that, you know, I'm 52. I don't have a lot of time left, and I don't have a lot of energy left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So it feels important to focus. It feels scary to focus. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I know you have a lot happening with your move, and I really appreciate it. Oh, gosh, it's great. It's wonderful to talk to you. I wish you so much luck with the book, everybody. It's a great book if you haven't read it already. Um, I had a chance to read it early on. It's really wonderful and raw and honest and beautifully written and really wonderful. So good luck. Thank you. And I look forward to connecting with you on the other side of your move when you're settled in. Excellent. We'll go for a hike. That sounds fantastic. (laughs) If you're ready to go deeper into your heroine's journey, I invite you to explore my new book, The Book of She. You can visit thebookofshe.com to register your receipt for this order before October 30th. 
And when you do, you'll receive an invitation to join me and our community in a free online women's yoga and meditation class, as well as a live Q&A. Until next time, I'm sending you my heartfelt support. Thank you so much for being part of our sisterhood.